Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every week to defend and promote public education. We've got a very full program for you this afternoon. But before we start, we'd like to remind you that next week we'll be asking you to ring in at, to 3CR to donate to 3CR on behalf of the DOGS program. And we have to raise a lot of money, 6500 We have done it in the past, but uh, we know that a lot of members are not as well-heeled as they were. And, of course, we're in covid times. But we do ask you to be as generous as you possibly can be. We've got a press release, 893, which is headed, The economic argument for state aid to private schools has turned upside down. In the past, the uh, private schools have said, if you had to take us over, it would just cost too much. We're saving you money. And the public schools would collapse. Well, that argument no longer holds any water at all. And we'll be telling you about why. As well as that, we're going to go and have a look at what Archbishop Fisher has actually said up in Sydney recently. We're quoting from him in our press release, but Dale is going to give us the full speech as it was printed in the Sydney Morning Herald. Then we're going to also stay in New South Wales where the uh, teachers are very disappointed at the uh, new boss of New South Wales public schools. They've not only got a gentleman called Mr Scott from the ABC who's never been a teacher um, up in the higher echelons, they've now got a lady who has never set foot within a classroom uh, and they're not happy. And they've got reason to be not happy because all over Australia, our public schools administrations are being taken over by managerials many of whom send their children to private schools. And this lady is no exception. Then we're going to talk about the students who are missing out. And Maddie and Sorrell have got an excerpt from a recent book that has been written by a teacher. And they're going to read an excerpt from this book entitled, To Anyone Who Thinks the Attar Is Fair, Let Me Tell You a Story About a Student Named Maya. So we'll go without any more ado, to our press release 893. The economic argument for state aid to private schools has turned upside down. The financial data analysis laboriously done by the Save Our Schools group and taken up by the Gonski Institute at the University of New South Wales has finally rattled the Catholic sector. Sydney's Archbishop Fisher has come out with a startling admission. Now, make no mistake, The hierarchy still own and control the Catholic school system, and what they say is very revealing. Fisher, as well as trying to to beat the anti-Catholic drum, has admitted that the Catholic school system has never had it so good in terms of funding and should focus on using the resources well. I don't think we should keep harping out about resources. I think we've actually got it as good as we will get it probably for a long time. Could I just uh, remind you there of a press release that we put out some time ago where uh, Mr Turnbull in his book uh, indicated that he had a very interesting talk to Archbishop Fisher in which Fisher uh, said that uh, 
he didn't want to send the money out to the poor schools because that might affect the voting patterns and the people in the inner city uh, in Mr Turnbull's own electorate. It was a very startling admission that Archbishop Fisher himself was party to the misuse of public money. Fisher says, uh, Fisher also indicated, concerned the state schools were getting better results than the Catholic system, while the DNA of the Catholic system had been severely eroded. All very interesting and revealing. Fisher made no mention of why citizens or taxpayers might be concerned about the abuse of children by Catholic religious and teachers through their schools, or the reports of numerous auditors generals about their use of public money. As usual, he draws the anti-Catholic slogan out of his mitre. Dogg suggests that he is wise to advise against carping on about resources because a vital tipping point has been reached. It is no longer economically efficient or effective to channel the 4.6 billion plus per annum pledged to Catholic and private schools by Scott Morrison as one of the first acts as Prime Minister. And it represents a wastage of public money when it can be proved that the public system does a better job less. The old economic argument that taxpayers have to prop up the private system or the public system would co collapse is wearing very thin. This has been articulated very clearly in a recent publication by the Gonski Institute at the University of New South Wales entitled Structural Failure, Why Australia Keeps Falling Short of Our Educational Goals. In this publication, the authors, led by Chris Bonner, have contrasted the reality with the rhetoric of various education declarations made by Australian politicians since 1989, and in particular, the 1919 Alice Springs Mapatne Education Declaration. But for the purposes of this news release, the booklet pulls together a lot of the extensive data collecting done over the past decade by Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd, ex-public school principals, and Trevor Kobold from the Save Our Schools group. Their financial analysis has been made possible by the MySchool website set up by Julia Gillard, and we quote extensively from section six from this Gonsi Institute publication below. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon. Community powered radio. Well, before the break, we were talking about uh, how the economic argument for state aid was wearing so thin that it's not relevant anymore. And this argument has been put forward in part six of a publication of the Gonski Institute called Structural Failure. And uh, Maddie and Sol are going to be reading some of the arguments from this booklet. Over to you, Maddie and Sorrel. Yes, thank you, Jean. Um, section six. Uh, has the subtitle Be Well Supported. An excerpt taken straight out of it says, ensure that young Australians of all backgrounds are supported to achieve their full education potential. This is the rhetoric of the um, nine, 2019 Alice Springs Declaration. Yes. And uh, you'll find that it, the rhetoric is almost meaningless. In raw dollar terms, most Australian schools seem to be well supported by a mix of public and private funding, but the makeup and distribution of this funding is problematic. 
Since 2011, the percentage increase in government per student recurrent funding of Australia's low ICSIA, under 1,000 schools, has been more than the increase to high ICSIA, which is over 1,000 schools. However, funding aggregated from all sources shows less advantaged schools are no further ahead. Irrationally, my school data also shows that Australia's very remote schools, on average, received the same percentage funding increases as major city schools, despite metropolitan uh, areas having clear socio-educational advantage. The public funding of schools by sector also seems to disregard the need criteria with government schools with an average of 981 ICSIA score, receiving much lower per student funding increases than going to the two non-government sectors. The Gonski recommendations included a sector-blind approach with needs-based funding, providing a rationale and model for equitable resourcing. The 2021 Productivity Commission data make it clear that government funding for non-government schools continues to grow at a faster rate than for public schools. More positively, there is a tacit acknowledgement of past failure in regard to true sector-blind needs-based funding. Recent Commonwealth government language has changed and now advocates students with the same need in the same sector will attract the same level of support. Such distortion between the sectors is likely to continue into the future unless structural policy change occurs. Uh, a recent study by uh, Chris Bonner and R. Wilson in 2020, which was the school money go round balancing the claims about school funding, revealed that combined state and federal recurrent funding of non-government schools is close to and in many cases exceeds combined government funding of government schools. In Could effect, you read that again? Yes, That's I can. That's a really interesting statement. Yes. Um, so the study revealed that combined state and federal recurrent funding of non-government schools is close to and in many cases exceeds combined fun government funding of government schools. So the public are paying more per student in uh, non-government schools, in private schools, than they are in the public sector. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Um, in 2020, Bonner and Wilson argued that in financial terms, most of the non-government schools have become public. In many cases, receiving even more public funding than do the similar government schools. This begs two, amongst many, questions. First, if non-government schools are funded at such high levels, to what extent does public funding of non-government schools represent any saving to the public purse? Second, if most Australian schools are publicly funded, shouldn't they all have the same obligations that they have to the public that funds them? This is why we're arguing the tipping point has been reached. Non-government schools or private schools are in many cases getting more per student, per school for that matter, than uh, government schools or public schools. So they're virtually public institutions or they're publicly funded. So it's time to make them properly public, publicly open to all children in purpose and in outcome, but above all, public in access to everybody. Yes. That's actually what they're saying there. And they're absolutely right. I don't know how many taxpayers would actually know about this. Yeah. Where's the outrage? Now, where's, where's the knowledge and the facts and the figures where actually you have to go to these people to save our schools and at least the Age and the Herald 
in Sydney, the New South Wales Fair, old Fairfax, now Channel 9 newspapers, are producing the facts and figures. So that is why I'm suggesting that Archbishop Fisher is saying we better not carp on too much about funding at the moment. Because it's literally costing the taxpayer more to fund yep. private schools than the taxpayer pays for public schools. And the needs policy, once again, has been made a nonsense. So it's a structural, a moral and a public failure. If you privatise it, you've got problems. Uh, but part of the obfuscation problem is that state governments do save by funding non-government schools ahead of their own schools while the federal government incurs large costs. The lack of logic in such arrangements is just part of the problem. Under the current arrangements, the states are required to lift the funding of their public schools to the agreed 80% of the school's resourcing standard, with the federal government providing the other 20%. Yet, perversely, the states are financially better off if they fund every new student to attend a non-government school. This has significant implications for the efficiency of the current arrangements that are supposed to have schools in each sector funded to their SRS entitlement. As another analysis by um, Trevor Cobald revealed, public schools across Australia won't get there. Our support for young Australians also falls well short on other criteria, including the effectiveness and efficiency of this support. On the effectiveness side, a common refrain is that Australia, Australia's results on international tests have been declining over the past 10 years, despite continually increased school funding. At first glance, this is readily apparent, although closer scrutiny suggests it is more complex than some cert. The question is, Who's going to be held responsible for the fact that we're falling behind the international Joneses? We've seen in Canberra that Mr Morrison and uh, the other ministers, uh, they don't seem to want to take responsibility for what's happening in education. They want to blame the teachers and the teachers are not happy. Up in New South Wales in particular, there's a whole lot of strikes going on because their schools are not being properly resourced. We're not hearing about it, but if you go to the uh, Federation website, you'll see that the teachers are getting fed up and we need them. The widespread provision and duplication of publicly funded schools has no doubt increased choice, but at the cost of funding efficiency. Examples abound and it is most obvious in smaller communities with co-located and competing but small government and Catholic schools. Per student funding in these places is usually very high. Combining such schools would still leave towns with a relatively small school, but with improved economies of scale. A worked example illustrates how funding such as competing schools can come at a price to both families and taxpayers. In 2018, the most recently published My School Financial data, the 68 students at Adelong Public School with an ICSIA of 946 in New South Wales, attract $1,084,707 in annual government recurring funding, 15951 per student. The 37 students at St. Joseph's School, ICSIA 1026, in the same town, attracts $885,170 
a much larger than 23,923 per student. So it's 23,004 for a Catholic student in Adelong. And how much was it for for, for a public school student? 15,000. 15,000 per student. That's the difference of of 8,000. Yeah. And so he's arguing this is ridiculous. Um, It would be so much better if they were all in one school together. Now, the fascinating thing about this duplication argument is that it was the argument used in 1848 and 1854, which got the state school system in New South Wales off the ground in the first place. The duplication argument uh, and the sectarian argument that we were dividing our our children on the basis of religion and uh, wasting public money was what got the state school system really going in 1854. So Bonner, Bonner uh, he knows his history, I'd say. He knows the arguments, the old arguments, which still apply. And he knows that the economic argument, which was the strongest back in the 1960s, no longer applies. Archbishop Fisher has every reason to be a little bit concerned. Um, So if the school's combined enrolment was funded at the public school rate, the annual cost to the government would reduce from a total of $1,969,877 to $1,674,855. The actual saving would be higher due to the economies of scale and the even lower per student cost of the more advantaged combined enrolment. In such a scenario, parents of students in the Catholic school certainly wouldn't be required to pay much, if anything, in school fees. The casual observer might think it would make more sense for the governments to pay more to certain schools or sectors if there was a dividend in terms of student achievement. After all, schools perform at a variety of levels. But research consistently shows that within a broadly homogenous school system, Students with similar levels of socio-educational advantage, SES, achieve at similar levels, regardless of school type or sector. Once again, which schools enroll which students significantly defines their character and perceived success. This similarity in school outcomes when adjusted for family background also raises questions about the effectiveness of our total government funding plus fees expenditure on schools. Comparisons of schools enrolling similar students often reveal big differences in the money that goes into producing their quite similar results. Table one raises some financial questions. In the 1000 to 1049 ICSIA range, median per student funding from all sources is $15,099 in Catholic schools and 16,666 in independent schools and 13,766 in government schools. We just hear that again. Uh, and uh, with wealthy, wealthy students or reasonably wealthy um, communities, to educate a private school student is what, 16,000 odd? Yeah, in in Catholic schools, fifteen thousand and ninety nine, and in independent schools, sixteen thousand six hundred and sixty six. And in government schools, it's just thirteen thousand seven hundred and sixty six. Now, 
just think of the money that could be saved if the 13,000 was the figure for all of them. Yeah. um, Table one also indicates little difference in NAPLAN results between the sectors. If measurable results are important, then a per student total spend in excess of 13,766 for the higher funded students is questionable in terms of both effectiveness and efficiency. This similarity in school outcomes when adjusted for family background also raises questions about the effectiveness of our total expenditure on schools. So that's what, um, that's what Archbishop Fisher up to a point is talking about. The state schools, even though they have less money than the Catholic schools, are in some cases even doing a better job in NAPLAN results than the Catholic schools. And he's very sensitive about it. Uh, because it has it has economic implications, doesn't it? Well, so there you have it. Dogs note that perhaps the time has come to go forward by going back. Taxpayers substantially pay for the private system, and it would be so much cheaper and educationally sensible if we took over the system and made schools genuinely public institutions and let the wealthy pay for their privileges. We don't mind uh, the wealthy going their own way so long as they're prepared to pay for it. So the economic argument no longer applies and the Catholic system uh, now has 40% non-Catholic enrolment. So how Catholic is it really? So what exactly are we paying for? Now, we've been throwing an awful lot of facts and figures at you there and if you want to check on them, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info and go to press release 893. Have you ever had a diagnosis of breast cancer or a gynecological cancer? Would you like to support other women as they go through their own cancer experience? Counterpart is a community-based service located in Melbourne. They support women right across Victoria who have been diagnosed with breast or a gynecological cancer. Counterpart peer support volunteers have all had their own cancer experience. They provide a listening ear and emotional and practical support to other women affected by cancer. As a peer support volunteer, you'll receive six weeks training one day a week. The 2021 volunteer intake will begin training in August. Applications close on June 7. To apply or find out more, visit counterpart.org.au forward slash volunteer or call our resource centre on 1300 781 500. Counterpart, women supporting women with cancer. A 3CR supporter. You're still listening to the Dogs Program. And and before the break, we were talking about uh, how the time has come for the private schools to be taken over because they just are costing too much. And we also referred to a very interesting speech by Archbishop Fisher, who is starting to realise that perhaps the Catholic Church's greed is starting to get the better of it. So Dale is going to read us uh, from the um, Sydney Morning Herald article. Never had it so good, Archbishop says, cashed up Catholic schools must learn from the state schools. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, the article is by Jordan Baker and it was published on the 27th of May this year. Catholic Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher, has called for an examination of what state schools are getting right 
and the humility to learn from them because they regularly perform better in academic results. He said the Catholic school system had never had it so good in terms of funding and should focus on using the resources well. Archbishop Fisher also warned Australia against turning its back on educating students in the humanities. The Catholic Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher, is shocked at the resurgence of anti-Catholic sentiment. Failing to teach humanities is intellectually and culturally impoverishing, Archbishop Fisher said in the inaugural Kathleen Burrow Research Institute lecture at Notre Dame University on Wednesday night. Archbishop Fisher, a member of the Australian Bishops Commission for Catholic Education, said the Catholic system had been poorly supported by Australian government for most of its 200-year history. Parts of, the, parts of the state educational bureaucracy, teachers' unions and media remain unremittingly hostile to Catholic education he said, adding that he was shocked by the resurgence of anti-Catholicism in the past few decades. However, the $4.6 billion pledged to Catholic and independent schools by Scott Morrison in one of his first acts as Prime Minister in 2018 after a bitter funding debate meant the system had more government support than ever. Archbishop Anthony Fisher said, Catholic schools should try to learn from public schools. I don't think we should keep carping on about resources, he said. I think we've actually got it as good as we will get it, probably for a long time. Instead, the Catholic system should ask itself whether it could make better use of its resources. Why have the state schools gone ahead? Archbishop Fisher said in response to a question from the audience. They regularly beat us in academic results by any measure, such as international assessments and NAPLAN. They all tell us this. We've got to be doing better academically for no reason other than a purely pragmatic one in that the Catholic tribe does not carry people into the school anymore in the same way it does not carry culture. Parents will send their kids to a school they think is going to do the best academically. So we've got to be very focused on the excellence of our schools. There's no publicly available NAPLAN or HSC data that compares school sectors when differences in student socioeconomic background are taken into account. But in PISA uh, assessment data, uh, adjusted for student backgrounds, government school students outperformed Catholic school students in maths for the first time in 2018. There were no differences in reading and science. Student progress was more important than first prizes, but we should be aspiring to do both, Archbishop Fisher said. Looking at what the state schools are getting right at the moment and learn from them, having the humility to learn from them. Catholic Schools New South Wales Chief Executive Dallas McInerney said New South Wales Department of education schools had vastly improved in recent years. That's a challenge for Catholic education, he said, but we're confident we'll continue to offer the best all-round opportunities for New South Wales school children. 
These include a thorough examination of the future workforce needs of our schools and record levels of investment into new and improved school facilities. Archbishop Fisher said he was concerned about the erosion of Catholic DNA within Catholic schools, saying many, <laughs> I know, saying many religious education teachers no longer practice the religion and were unfamiliar with the doctrine and morals they were supposed to teach. An increasing proportion of those enrolled in our schools are not even nominally Catholic or Christian. The disconnection from church is glaringly obvious when children or families find themselves in unfamiliar territory at mass, unsure of how to comport themselves, respond, and even recite the most treasured Catholic prayers, he said. Schools should respond by more deliberately teaching the Catholic faith to counteract outside forces. We have to keep preparing our teachers to be countercultural, he said. They've got to think of themselves like missionaries in the classroom. When asked about anti-Catholic sentiment, Archbishop Fisher said he remembered being worried about government school kids spitting on him, calling him names when he was a child in the 60s. It was more like Belfast in Sydney back then, he said. That went two ways. I was in Sydney back, I was in Sydney uh, in the 40s and 50s, and it worked two ways. And uh, we were told, the state school children were told to never, ever be rude to the Catholic children. So we used to go home from school a different way. As children in different schools, if we divide our children, then uh, they will learn that they are different. And this is very sad. This is why we must have a public school system that brings all our children together and teaches them to live together. We don't want to be like Belfast. Uh, he goes on to say, I thought it was all in the past. It was all gone. And it has shocked me to see anti-Catholicism come back. It's very real. Catholics don't have two heads. They actually love you. We are doing good things for you and for the world. Well, I would argue they might like to stop trying to legislate over women's reproductive rights and, you know, bodily you autonomy, are, you know. Yes, well, I think, I think you have to say that they do, there are, there are very good people um, in, in all religions uh, who really do do their best uh, to, to live, particularly if they're Christians, to live and to follow Christ. But the institution, this particular institution, has proved itself in Australia to um, be very greedy indeed and to divide children along the basis of religion, uh, which is very, very sad because he's right. We, do learn, we learn, have to learn to live together. And the whole idea of him calling teachers to proselytise more and in school and be like missionaries in school goes against the entire Section 116 argument in the first place about establishing a state religion? They actually, they actually spent 26 days in the High Court in 1979 trying to prove that that did not happen. So it's all very interesting indeed. Uh, it's not that they necessarily tell lies. I'm not going to say that Archbishop Fisher is a liar. I'm going to say... Uh, as Ray used to say, that there was a great deal of dissembly.
Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiyah to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Well, uh, here we are back with the dogs program again, and Oliver is going to tell us about why the teachers up in New South Wales are not very happy with the latest appointment to the New South Wales Education Department. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. Judy King writes, since the announcement of Mark Scott's replacement as the Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, I have received several messages and phone calls from teacher friends and former colleagues expressing their utter disappointment. Yet another senior leader of the Department of Education has been appointed without teaching qualifications or experience. And in this instance, one who has chosen an expensive private school for her eldest child. No wonder Georgina Harrison was keen to stress when the Herald interviewed her this week that her youngest is still in the public system. While educational colleges, uh, colleagues acknowledge it is the right of parents to choose a school for their children, it is also understandable that public school teachers and principals would express dismay at any hint of rejection of the public school option by the most senior leader of that very system. During my many years as deputy principal and principal of three public secondary schools, I was proud to tell students, parents and teachers that my daughter attended two fine public schools for her 13 years of schooling. The school communities appreciated my personal commitment to the public system, my passion for public education, and my trust in teaching colleagues. Could I, inter could I interrupt there? Ray Nielsen always said that when you appoint somebody to lead a football team, then you don't appoint the opposition. Why? do they appoint the opposition into our bureaucracies and ignore our teachers who are experienced in that system? It's a question of commitment. That's right, Jean. Judy King goes on to say, demonstrated trust in the expertise and ability of the teaching workforce has of late been in short supply, particularly when it comes to filling leadership positions. Since 2016, there has been a marked increase in the number of appointments to head office of the Department of Education without any qualifications as educators. Mm. The department's leadership has never been so alienated from the teaching workforce. The framework that governs public service appointments in New South Wales seems to be based on the assumption that managers are interchangeable across all government departments. Mm. This corporate view of the world is incompatible with the uniqueness and complexity of schools. Recruits from the corporate world of McKinsey, Ernst Young, or the Boston Consulting Group have no relevance to the challenges of leadership for teaching and learning across New South, New South Wales 2,200 schools. Schools and school systems thrive best when they are led by qualified and experienced personnel. 
yet barely a third of the senior head office appointments can draw on any educational training or demonstrate any direct understanding of the complex nature of schools and the teaching and learning process. This is evident from flawed policy settings which have not involved any genuine consultation with the teaching profession. The major restructure of the Department of Education, which commenced in the middle of a once in 100 year pandemic in 2020, promised certainty and clarity. And yet there are at least 25 acting or vacant positions in the Department of Education's organization chart dated May 2021. There is no current plan to ensure that New South Wales public schools meet the national funding benchmarks of the schooling resource standard. There are a number of comments on this article that Dow is going to share with you. If I could just say something there too, they're talking about how teachers are not, don't have a proper career structure anymore. And it used to be uh, that they would go into the department and become the administrators and they made crack, crack administrators. Anyone who can uh, survive in some schools can make a, a, they know how to deal with people. But um, in, in Victoria, back in the 1980s, there were people throughout the system who had come up through the ranks and who were committed to the public system. And then in uh, 1983, I think it was, it was taken over from on top. They appointed, at least he did have some, some teaching experience, they appointed uh, a gentleman whose children went to the private sector. Uh, right, and he came over on top of the others. And uh, there were restructures. And since then, in Victoria, as in New South Wales is now happening, the uh, administration is being taken over by apparatchiks, by managerials, uh, not by people who are experienced in and committed to the public system. And this is why I suggest we have people like Trevor Cobold and Chris Bonner and principals who are taking the lead in the fight for public education in this country. And all we can do is say, strength to your arm. Yes, some of the comments on that article are as follows. Dacta said, indeed, the, uh, the appointment does not pass the pub test. Uh, Marmaduke says, best not be a teacher if you want to get to the top. Binabara says, defund all private and religious schools. They should not get a cent of taxpayer money. This is just another example of the LNP hating on anything with the word public in its title. Amused Muse said, it seems that anyone who ever went to a school is an authority on education and the administration of public schools. That is, except for teachers and those who work in schools. And they wonder why young people don't see this as a career option. Dystopia says, the trouble is, if the first three layers of the executive are filled with generic managers, then it's very hard to overcome self-interested managerialism. And Magpie 59 says, this is almost on par with Trump's Betty DeVos appointment. The nozzle says uh, there's no doubt that the trend to corporatise management is reaching its zenith with quality outcomes and frank and fearless advice now less likely than ever. And Adon's finally says the answer to the appointment is to look at the competencies list for these senior executive public service roles. They are pages long 
outlining the most abstract concepts possible with equally verbose descriptions of how to achieve them. Reading them demonstrates a classic example of bureaucratic committee thinking. The people who rise to the top in this arcane world are the ones who know how to play the game, not actually achieving anything. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. You're still listening to the Dogs program and we remind you that next week we'll be asking you to, to uh, ring in to 3CR and donate to the Dogs program for 3CR. But pressing on, we've now got a very interesting article. It's written by this gentleman called Brendan James Murray who has written a book about teaching. Thank you. Jean. Yes, this article by Brendan James Murray is entitled, To anyone who thinks the ATAR is fair, let me tell you a story about a student named Maya. They were all there, Wambui included, though really they weren't. Really they were in the brick belly of a government classroom. Years old posters over graying walls, kiln light pulsing murderous through the windows in an irresistible haze. The ocean nearby smelt of dried seaweed. Gulls cried. It was the final period of the day, but this meant little to these 17 and 18-year-olds, many of whom would go straight from school to part-time jobs upon which their households depended. The illusion held. I saw it in their furrowed brows, their slightly squinting eyes. They were enveloped in the darkness of an enormous pavilion, its sawtooth roof pulled tight in a snarl. The floor was dusty, uneven, dangerous. In the centre was a steep-sided pool, its surface humped with the carcasses of horses. Still more horses galloped and cantered onto the rim while a lone shepherd, arms outstretched, tried to prevent them from falling. So tell me, I said, aware suddenly that the electric clock uttered a faint, continuous whine, does this story make no sense whatsoever or is there a hidden logic? something a good literature student can find. 
Tim put up his hand. He was a tall, lanky surfer who, by sheer chance, I had taught continuously for the past five years. I'm not sure. His voice was all sea breeze and glinting horizons. Waves broke behind his eyes. But I like it, Doc. Years before, when Tim was in the junior school, my class had been discussing the controversy surrounding vaccines. After a barrage of questions, I felt the need to remind them that I wasn't a doctor. I'm pretty sure you are, Tim had replied, and so I remained all the way through to his graduation, and even today. <clears throat> what about everybody else? Forgetting about meaning. We've all chosen lit for a reason. Do we like this story? 25 heads nodded. I've taught a lot of books, but Peter Carey's collected stories is perhaps the only one that has enchanted every student without exception. I totally agree. I love Peter Carey, like really love him. Who's the teen heartthrob these days? Bieber. <laughs> well, Peter Carey's my Bieber. Laughter. It's easy with literature kids. They're studious interested in the class by choice. They're often high performers who want to achieve and expect you to provide. For them, the teacher isn't the enemy. Working with them is a joy. And all at once, as sometimes happens in my teaching, my consciousness was waylaid. Should I telephone Charlie's auntie immediately after class? Tell her what he told me today in the office? It seemed like a good idea, but of course it was laden with complications. Would Charlie feel betrayed by this disclosure? He never told me that I couldn't speak to Tia, but that certainly wasn't the same as giving permission. And what if his father, a man I had never met, answered the phone? Would I hang up? What could I possibly have to say to him? And how might Tia react to criticisms of a man who was ultimately her brother? Then there was Tessa and Lonnie to think about. I still hadn't managed to reach Lonnie's mother and nor had the coordinator. Should I try again? Did I have time for any of these things? The 3.30 p.m. staff meeting, the drive home, <coughs> the shopping, the 25 literature essays I needed to mark? Of course I had the time. It was my responsibility. I had to have the time. I promise that analysing life and death in the Soundside Pavilion won't make us hate it, I told my year 12s. The opposite will be true. So let's stick some pins in this butterfly. We like it, but does it make sense? It makes sense, but not in the normal way, somebody said. It's like a dream or a nightmare, maybe. It tells you something about yourself, but you're not sure what. Good. So what might it be telling us about ourselves? I scanned the room, one face to the next, Wambui and Tim and Maya and all the rest, too many to name, each fighting for what intellectual and emotional real estate I had to offer, their eyes greedy for answers and I struggled not to relent and just to write an explanation on the board and then settle at my desk, open newspaper, like the teachers of my childhood. The clock whined. Wambui, large-eyed and thoughtful, tapped a pencil on her chin, paused, and wrote something down. At last, Maya raised her hand and something inside me softened. I knew she'd had the answer from the beginning, had hesitated only to give the others an opportunity. You saw it so often in children the banality of kindness, a gesture subtle, easy to miss, but more genuine than all the self-conscious benevolence the adult world has to offer. The shepherd is trapped in the pavilion and it seems like it's the company trapping him, but it isn't. 
Maya has platinum braids, ruled lines, work submitted days early. He's trapping himself. What makes you say that? In the junior school, Maya's voice had been a barely audible whistle, but now she spoke with surety, confidence. It's the pavilion. The whole point about a pavilion is that it has no walls. He's carrying on like the company is responsible for this terrible situation he's in, but there's nothing stopping him walking straight out, nothing except himself. He says that he has to stay to protect the horses from drowning, but that really isn't his responsibility. That's the company's stupidity. It isn't the shepherd's fault. I could not agree more, Maya. And maybe Carrie is warning us that we're all trapped and each of us is our own jailer. But by, Maya would not be trapped, not by anything. And all her teachers loved her for it. She was on the verge of breaking a generational poverty cycle. Her ruled lines and meticulous braids were not were not superficialities, but weapons of defence in an arena whose dangers she had come to understand years before. When she was 10, her parents divorced, and Maya was uprooted from Queensland to Victoria, leaving her with little more than one half of a love heart necklace serially gifted from her best friend. Soon her mother had a part-time job in a bakery, and Maya was walking home from school and cooking dinner for her little brother making sure he did his homework, putting him to bed. They could afford little. When she began high school, Maya's uniform hung off her like a clown suit, her mother knowing she would be unable to afford larger sizes as the years progressed. In year 10, Maya first felt the desire to break free. Life, she understood, could be different, and education was the key. She wanted to leave Seadale to study archaeology at university and knew the score she needed to the digit. And I carried that weight, in literature at least. It was my job to make sure I did everything possible to get Maya the score she deserved. It's called the ATAR score, the Australian Tertiary Admission Rank. If that term is instilled with a tepid bureaucratic dullness, don't be fooled. Beneath the surface lies the reality of a system that is at best problematic and at worst inextricably linked with power, privilege, class and the perpetuation of the social status quo. The obvious and well-trodden path is to decry issues of funding. While the school is still armoured in places with the 1970s brickwork of my childhood, many private institutions are handed public money to spend on the most privileged young people in the country. I'm not for a moment arguing that children in private schools don't deserve the best start to life. Only that, to a degree, the educational privileges they enjoy come at the cost of the less fortunate. Where I've been forced to hang my own curtains in classrooms and buy books for students, a prestigious nearby college recently unveiled a 550-seat auditorium complete with an orchestra lift. For public school teachers, dealing with flickering lights and asbestos warning signs, contracts like that are difficult to take. But where this becomes especially problematic and of major importance to ATAR scores and therefore the economic futures of young people is in regards to class sizes. I'm aware of private schools running literature classes with as few as five pupils, a luxury far beyond the financial reach of almost any government schools. Class sizes are controversial, 
with some arguing that they are of little significance and others adamant that they are profoundly important. The reason most classroom teachers fall into the latter category is because we are aware of the power of rapid feedback in helping our students learn. Class size slows feedback, just as surely as four flat tires slow a car. Consider the maths. It takes 15 minutes to read and provide a feedback on a literature essay, and that is going at full tilt. In a class of 25, that's a little over six hours work. In a class of five, a teacher can have that work done in just an hour and a quarter. Multiply that over four writing tasks, and the government school teacher has worked for well over 24 hours for the private school teacher's five. What this means is that the public school teacher is more tired and significantly gets the work back more slowly. A class of five might get their feedback the day after writing the essay, then immediately begin a new one, their errors and feedback fresh in their minds. The students in the class of 25 need to wait far, far longer. What must be remembered too, and what is poorly understood by many, is that the ATAR is not an assessment of competence in the traditional sense. It's a rank. Each student is placed in a great snaking line, the front of which often meanders through suburbs like Turak and Darling Point, while the trail recedes into the murky hinterland of housing commission blocks, barren yards, poorly tuned radios hissing footy scores in bulbless rooms. And in such gloom, Students like Maya await their literature feedback without complaint. All of this, of course, is assuming such classes are even run in government schools. Let's take, as an example, a traditionally challenging subject like chemistry. If only five subjects enroll, a government school may simply be unable to afford to proceed with the class. This leaves students with two options, go to a different school or pick a different subject. Most opt for the latter. As chemistry is a prerequisite for some university courses, these students have had the doors to their futures closed for no other reason than their socioeconomic background. Other examples are more specific and arguably insidious. At the time of writing, students are not permitted to use a dictionary in their literature examination in Victoria, despite repeated studies showing a clear relationship between poverty and reduced vocabulary. Every child carries with them the invisible dictionary of their socioeconomic status. And that is to say nothing of students for whom English is not their first language. The ATAR measures student ability, but it also measures so much more. Privilege, wealth, position. This can create an illusion of competence in private schools where results are touted in well-funding marketing campaigns with no acknowledgement of the underlying social realities from which they emerge. While students from wealthy, stable homes studied, perhaps with the support of tertiary-educated parents, Maya cooked dinner for her little brother. Likewise, Charlie, one terrible night, cowered under the bed with his little brother to escape the glint of a hacking blade. And Wamboy, on the other side of the world, wrestled with the superstitions of her village which dictated that the cure for bedwetting involved licking the mucus from a newborn calf. Well, that was from Brendan James Murray uh, from his book on, on, on teaching, on schools. Uh, he's a wonderful public school teacher. 
but uh, you've been listening to the dogs program. I'm sorry, our time has gone. So it is a reminder about Radio Farm Lips Week and our website at www.adogs.info and bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.